wait a minute, turn on the radio My homie got a new show and it's time to play it though I hope you got in tune, he talking bigger business He make a lot of moves Welcome to the Startup Showcase, I'm your host Scott Katoon Joining me today on the show, we've got Woofy, uh, which is a, a company that is helping companies with social media, helping businesses with social media, and Wandering Barman, which is like right up my alley. Although I've got some questions because, uh, as you'll learn in the pitch, um, they make bottles of different types of drinks and so forth that are kind of pre-made, and I've had sort of spotty success with that so far, so I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what their spin is and how they make it good. Last week's show, my co-host was Baby Vivian. Uh, we don't have Baby Vivi, but we'll drop her in real quick just because it's fun. Yeah, I miss my baby already. I think she might co-host every week for me. Um, I think where we're going to go with today's show uh, is talk a little bit about some stuff in the market, and then I think it pertains a little bit to the call-ins we're going to have. We're going to spend a little bit more time on the actual investments and break them down a little bit just because we had some questions on Twitter last week. Granted, last week I was like holding a baby the entire episode, so maybe I flew through it. Um, on what I was looking at at the company when they pitched, I think you know last week's call-ins were really, I think, fairly consumer-friendly and they were pretty obvious. This week's are actually fairly consumer-friendly also. Um, but I, I'm going to spend a little bit more time this week on the actual terms that these companies are offering. We'll see if I can push them and, and get some real figures from them. But um, I think as it pertains to those of you listening who invest in startups, uh, it's fairly obvious, right? You're you're looking for companies that have the, well, one, a founder that you believe is actually capable of what they're saying they're trying to accomplish or founders. Uh, and two, I think this is a common thread for retail investors that a lot of the shows that talk about companies sort of miss is that tried and true investors have an approach to things that is, uh, how do you say this? They, it's sort of an, I guess, I don't even know how to put it. They're, they don't care what industry they're in. I mean, obviously, there are investors who have a lot of experience in like data storage or cloud security or something very specific where they only invest in that. And it's, it's obvious because either that's their entire lifetime background of, of, of career work or it rolls into some larger company or entity that they work for or invest out of. And so they think that it's easier for them to make investments in companies and then roll them up into deals that, that pay quicker. Um, but for the average retail investor, the number one thing that seems to be a common point of investment is that they understand and relate to the business they're investing in. So they may well understand that the cannabis thing that relies around the city uh, on January 1st and 2nd uh, for people trying to get their first stab at legal marijuana but if you don't smoke weed or you don't understand the therapeutic or medical purposes for it, you may well understand that there's a huge investment opportunity, but you're not going to invest in it because you don't understand it. You don't get why people do it. And you just don't feel comfortable predicting like to you, you could put the money in any company that touches or doesn't touch cannabis. And you would be like, oh, well, you know, the high tide rises all boats. And that's good enough for some people. But for a lot of people, predominantly those who are in the retail investor, the, the not accredited investor, this isn't their, their full-time job, that's not good enough. One, they want to feel passionate about what they're putting their money in. So they want to know that, like, I use this, and I understand why they would do this or they wouldn't do this. And therefore, when I pick a company to invest in, I want to understand, like, okay, can I, if I had a conversation with the founders and said, hey, you know, as a user, this is kind of what I'm seeing, would we be able to have a conversation? 
I don't want to put my money into a company that I personally don't understand. Now, for me, I would put my money in anything that I see a potential market for, with the exception of a few that, like, whether it's, I mean, I don't have, as you ask anyone who's known me, kind of loose morals. I don't have, like, a moral compass when it comes to investing, necessarily, but I definitely prefer to invest money in companies that I can pull a lever for. So maybe I don't know your business as well as you do or at all, uh, but I know business. I know that at a certain point, based on what I'm hearing from you, you're going to need a technology platform. Or based on a certain point of what you're saying, I know that your scaling is going to require that you set up HQs across the country or that you sell B2C and your marketing strategy in order to get big requires that you understand exactly how one would do it like is it a, a, a an instagram influencer campaign is it click ad is it google like things like that that i understand the general concept or the general um business model and i can see where i can lend advice or i can move the needle for you i can make phone calls i can do things that's kind of my bar that's that's that, that's how i guess agnostic to a point is what i would say when you get to the average joe or in particular, angels who have a full-time job, they're a lawyer, they're a financer, they run a business of their own, whatever the case, they don't have the time or the inclination to sit back and be like, okay, so tell me about your business model. Let me see where I could pull the pull things together. They don't think like that. They're just like, listen, I want to invest in companies that I already know, and I'm going to give you money and trust that you know what to do with it. And yeah, if you have like a major question or there's some way that I can help you, like give me a call, but otherwise, don't. And I go through this whole thing because I think that, at least for me, this has been a good lesson. I think it is actually very analogous to investing in the markets. So as we get to this year, 2020, right now the stock market is, I know it took a little dip after Donald Trump did a little funny business uh, over the weekend. We'll see. Hopefully that was all on the up and up, but I don't want to turn this political. So we'll just, we'll just skip that. Uh, the market took a small dip. By and large, the NASDAQ is on a like 10 consecutive, I don't know if this is ac- accurate as of today, but as of mid last week, 10 consecutive open highs. It has never been higher. And that is going to change regardless. There is going to be a pullback, some sort of recession. I don't think anyone's questioning that. A lot of people uh, in the business are, are pointing to like mid-late January, early February. That might get moved up now with the Iraqi deal. Uh, I'm sorry, the Iran deal. But, um, you know, I... I think that one of the things that's going to shift in the markets going forward is the simple fact that technology is so prevalent. In the past, you could invest in different companies that had some sort of piece to you know the car business. You'd invest in a bunch of manufacturers that are in metals or in oils or energy or steel, and you could invest in them along with all of these other businesses that are like Ford and GM and GE and all these, and these companies that are intricate to, to make it work. In the future... Technology is sort of ubiquitous. It's, it's in everything. And there are certain types of technologies that enable companies to move faster, grow faster, grow leaner. And you're investing in those. And it's the same principle, but there's a little difference to it. The nuance is that if you don't feel comfortable speaking tech and talking about artificial intelligence, which is one of the companies we're going to call, uh, take a call from today, then it's sometimes daunting. And so I want to kind of like, pull the curtain back a little as we look at some of the companies that are on the highs right now. Facebook is again at an all-time high. Microsoft is an all-time high. Amazon, as you could imagine, after the holiday season is doing quite well. Facebook, you would think, might not be doing well given the fact that they there's a lot of pushback. But the reality is 
older folks, people of a certain age, are more on Facebook now than ever. So while the younger people are jumping ship and joining TikTok and Snap, their usage is being replaced by older people who are using it for a different reason. And Facebook kind of like tried to shake out of it for a second and then like, nah, I think we'll just brand Instagram, make sure everyone knows that it's Facebook, and then focus our attention on serving who uses our platform best. So if you use Facebook and you understand why you use it, And you understand how much longer you think you'd use it. How sticky is it? Do you use it to keep up with all of your grandchildren? Do you use it to communicate with your friends on Messenger? Do you use it to read the news? Do you use it to buy and sell goods on the marketplace? Are you weird and use it to meet your next mate? I recommend against that. But if that is the case, then you can find a very obvious argument for why Facebook will continue to produce a lot of money. Their income and revenue numbers are going to be insane for the simple reason that you're on it. And brands not dissimilar from the brands on the show before me will advertise on it because they know you're there and you're receptive. So I would understand why you would continue to invest in Facebook. I would also look at like Tesla. They're finally delivering numbers. Do you understand the concept that Tesla provides the best car that is electric? So the question right there as an investor is, and this is the same for startups as it is for market. Do you see the value or the scalability or the need for electric vehicles. If you do not, then I would not invest in it simply because you will be dumbfounded when it continues to skyrocket or you'll be very upset but also very happy in your brain because of the ego that it goes down because you're like, oh, I never saw the point. If you understand that, then let's say let's say you are pro-EV cars. You're pro-energy saving. You are interested in Tesla, but there are other options. Then you recognize that Tesla has a supercharger network that no one else has. And that even if the other companies get in the market, they're going to need to either borrow or license from Tesla or build their own, which is insane. It's a huge, it's billions of dollars of infrastructure costs. If you feel like that's a strategic advantage, then you should invest in Tesla. If you think that that advantage offers even additional revenue opportunities like advertising on those superchargers or providing streaming services within the car that while you're charging, you can watch content for free, but it's paid through advertising. If you see these revenue streams as potential, that is a cue as a retail investor to say, okay, I may not work in car manufacturing, but I know enough that I feel comfortable and I would make a bet on energy saving vehicles. And if so, I would make a bet on companies that are set up for adding revenue streams at a ridiculous clip as compared to the, the, the competitors. And if that case is the case, then you understand why Tesla's trading at $435 a share right now or whatever it was, something like it hit like a 455 at some point yesterday, which is insane. The same thing goes down to Uber and the rest. And I'll, I'll cut it short because we have to run a commercial, but the, the gist here is, you can question whether or not you like the business mechanics as a retail investor. I think it's the, the larger fund managers are a little bit more interested in the mechanics of Uber, whether they're profitable and when, and the signals that come out of the company's operating you know, revenue and, and their EBITDA. That, that stuff matters more to them because they're, they're on quarterly investment swings or daily or semi-daily, whereas you might just put your money, park it, and leave it and come back and hope that it in 10, 10 years' time that it triples. If you understand the use of a gig economy worker, of people sharing their time for money, and you think that that is a huge part of the future, then there's a handful of companies that you can invest in right now publicly, Uber, Lyft being a couple. If you think that that is not a thing, 
then I would not even touch those companies regardless of whether you think they're potential. This exact same point is moving forward as we go into the startup conversation, which is do you see this company building something that would plug into the infrastructure that is currently operating? And if so, are they the one to most likely be acquired or be that that something that, that we're talking about? And so I, I would tell you, same as myself, I look at these companies that very same way. So we're going to take a commercial break. We're going to come back with a pitch from a company that does just what we talked about, the social media piece of this. And I'm going to try to break down that company as best I can in the same terms we just did. So you're listening to WGN AM 720. I'm Scott Coon. We'll be right back. You are back on the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Coon. Uh, we are talking markets and investing and all these things. On the phone, I've got Arjun uh, from Woofy. Uh, looking forward to learning a little bit about that business. But as I kind of said before I bring in the uh, the spot here, I think when you listen to these these investments, you really should think of it in the same way that you do when you look at like what you invest in in your own personal portfolio. Like, is this something that I can understand and is this something that I can see being used ubiquitously across you know many, 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 many million people? Uh, because ultimately, the stickiness of the future is about brands and so if you don't have a product that's really sticky and a brand that's really sticky, it's going to be very difficult to compete. So we're going to see, uh, open up the elevator door here and see what comes out. Hey, Arjun, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, Scott? I'm hanging in there. Uh, let's hear the pitch. All right. So, hey, everyone, my name is Arjun, like Argentina without the Tina. So it's a quick elevator pitch for my name. I am the founder and CEO of HelloWoofy.com, which is a data science-driven marketing platform for small and medium-sized companies looking to really take their social media games to the next level. And the issue that we're solving is essentially that all of the social media management tools that are out there at the lower end of the tier, they're old, clunky, outdated, very non-visual, as you know, marketers tend to be very visual. And then when you go to higher-end tools that are very expensive, unaffordable for small and medium-sized companies, they don't even do the data science level analysis that every business owner needs around the world. So we're combining the best of both worlds, giving you powerful technology at a price of a cup of coffee a day. Okay, I get it. Um, and obviously, I'm coming, I'm, I'm coming at a very strategic advantage, given that not only am I in the business of, of media and I run a tech media platform, but um, the, we are very heavy on social. Um, and I also yeah. work with and did, I, of, did I tell you that I was going to offer you a lifetime subscription? <laughs> uh, you didn't, but you just did, and I'll take it. Um, okay. So I, I want to break into this because I think it's something that, um, you know, I know the founder of Sprout Social, Justin Howard, very well. He's a friend of the program. They just IPO'd. Uh, this is obviously very different, but there's a lot of commonality here in that what started off for him as a social media management platform when, when the rage was just like to just shove as much content down your, your users' throats as you could, uh, that it would evolve into sort of a predictive platform, when's the best time to post, and then it was like, here's what's trending, and here's the information, and then analyzing you know your user traffic yep. versus yours versus how it compares to others. And we are getting to a point... Um, and I know that you know this well, and, and this is, I, I'd like to obviously take this however you want, but, uh, or in whatever direction you want. But I think, um, I look at the hub spots of the world that have their CRMs and the, the, the sales cycles of the, of the past, in particular B2B, but even B2C were very heavily SMS and email and sort of just, we're just going to pound you until you say yes. And we're going to use our, our science behind it to tell us, you know, maybe when we should send it or not send it. But for the most part, 
um, there wasn't what I call micro-communication. And if there was, it was kind of in a, a small scale. And we're getting to a point now where, and I, I look at this this way for my own company, um, social media to me is my CRM. In fact, I actually have my Sprout Social and my, and my active campaign CR, actual CRM uh, pieced together into one dashboard that we custom built because I view the fact that I, I throw emails out because I'm supposed to um, as sort of just like that's informative and that's for the customers that I've already bought from me or that's where they expect to hear from me. But then I have my social media following, which may want me to be a service provider, but more more likely they, they want you know information or entertainment or whatever the case may be. And I want to treat them the same way. I want to know who they are and I want to know when I'm hitting them and, and what they're giving me. And I think a lot of businesses right now are still, this is almost amazing to think of this, but they're still flying blind when it comes to how they market digitally. They don't really, it's like clicks, that's it. Like that's as deep as the KPI goes. So I'd love to know, you know, your background on why you did this and and what you think this provides versus what's out there. So Scott, you said it yourself, like it's, so sad that business owners today, whether they're small or medium, not the big guys, they have the unlimited budgets, they're totally taken care of. It's the small and medium-sized businesses, they're the ones who are not being able to fully utilize the benefits of social media in 2020. And that's mainly because the technology isn't designed to be so simple and so granularly, granular that they can say, oh, I understand that, and I can do a campaign tomorrow easily. They need to hire someone, and they need to spend thousands of dollars in order to do it. And so, I, I mean, I love Spark Social. I love Hootsuite. I think the founders of all of our competitors are amazing. They set the trend. They set the foundation. But here's where we come in and we differentiate ourselves. We understand we're a scheduler, but that's what everyone else is also. But when you type a post in our platform, like Gmail Smart Compose, we actually give you the ability to auto-complete it. None of our competitors allow you to auto-complete like Gmail Smart Compose. We take a look at 35 million conversations around the world in social media to see what you're talking about and what are the words that will do really well based on what you're typing in real time. In fact, on top of that, one of the things that none of our competitors do is AI for emojis. Now, you might laugh at this. I might be seeing a smile on your face right now. I'm not laughing, by the way. I I 100% um, I know where you're going with this. Emojis are driving double-digit engagement. I couldn't believe it. And Adobe, just a couple of months ago, came out with an official report in July 2019 called the Adobe Emoji Churn Report. And they said you can see double-digit engagement, uplift in engagement, simply by the use of emojis. And we're not talking 11 or 12%, Scott. We're talking up to 64% engagement. Now, the only issue is there are 3,000 emojis, another 160 or so, which just added in a couple of weeks ago by Unicode. And it begs the question, how do you actually figure out, as you're typing a real uh, post in real time, which emojis are contextually relevant, which emoji combinations are going to drive engagement, things of that nature. So we figured out technology. We figured out a lot of artificial intelligence around that aspect so that we can give you the information in milliseconds versus you taking hours of your time out of the day of not running your business or days of the week not running your business. And that valuable time we can give you back in, like, 10x your time, essentially, that capability is monumental for a small business owner. And I'm sure you can relate to this. Time is of the essence. Time is everything. Timing is everything. So speaking of that, I want to add, I, we only have a couple minutes here, so I want to make sure we leave time to tell people how to invest. Um, yeah. But I just want to go back on one thing that you said, because I think it's kind of, a, to me, is the biggest differentiator for a retail investor paying attention to this. I work with major, major Fortune 500 you know, corporations as sponsors, and I will tell you, 
that there are those that do things exceptionally well. Uh, in the past, it had been Gatorade. They're kind of off their rocker right now, but they've been good. Nike, Lululemon, uh, I think Chase does a great job. There's a handful of other major, obviously Apple, um, brands that do exceptional work. There is a ton of gigantic brands that are successful despite this, and it's that they could they really are losing a ton of ground to their competitors that are doing it well. Why I say that is that these younger companies, these smaller companies that are out there, there is land to grab. They can use tools that you're creating yeah. to keep up with behemoths. And actually, what we've seen in the tech in the in the startup tech spaces, you know, just example number one, Robinhood absolutely knocking down to the knees to where TD Ameritrade consolidates all these things and then sells because of the the fees. And why do they do that? Because their digital acquisition of users was so low compared to what TD was paying and what Charles Schwab was paying that it forced their hand. This is a tiny upstart that now is, you know, billions, but it's a tiny upstart that took on the, the, the masters with a smart digital plan. And so all of the people who are out there listening can use something like this as a way to kind of cheat code and compete, even though they don't have all the same cash and resources. So uh, I totally get it. We have 30 seconds yeah, left. So totally. I want to I wanna just make sure we cover this real quick. You can go to republic.co slash woofy, W-O-O-F-Y, correct? It's republic.co slash hello, like a hello, woofy, like a W-O-O-F-Y. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, hello, woofy. I got that right. I was looking at the the note uh so yeah republic.co slash hello woofy follow uh at woofy hq uh, on twitter it's hello woofy i believe on instagram correct hello woofy on instagram correct and hello woofy.com check it out and i, I highly recommend you guys are going to be on one of the upcoming episodes of the drapers uh on sony tv yep. and so uh make sure people check it out and i, I recommend that uh, if you follow us on twitter at technoria at Cartoon, we're going to post a link to this page but i think this is one of those companies that's absolutely worth looking into because they are sort of on the cutting edge of where this is going. So, Arjun, uh, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, if there's any last five seconds you have to say, uh, by all means, share it. Well, Scott, all I want to say is I've been a founder for since you know for dec- almost a decade now, since I was a teenager. I started at 16, I'm 28 now, and you know, the point of the matter is that I understand what it takes to build a business from nothing and go through the blood, sweat, and tears and build something that you can be proud of. We want to help every business owner around the world, whether they speak English or not, Use technology, use data science to get to the next level and beat their competition that has unlimited budgets. Because awesome. we understand what it's like to be an underdog. Awesome. We want to make sure we get there. Thank you very much for calling in. I will give my uh, notes after Thank we you. come back from the from the commercial. Bye-bye. All righty, folks. So we just heard from uh, HelloWoofy.com. I have a couple notes on this because I think it's interesting. Um, I They just launched a campaign, so the traction is, is still small. I think it's only like six or $7,000 invested from 19 investors, and they've literally been live for like a day. Um, and the numbers, the terms, to be totally honest, are quite good. Um, it's a crowded market space, so I understand a little bit that, you know, I don't expect like a $10 million or $20 million valuation on an early company that only has about 1,000 customers, and, um, you know, the revenue is roughly around um you know they're, they're hoping they have about thirty thousand in sca- in sales in q4 of 2019 they're hoping to get about six hundred dollars a year average revenue per customer which there's you know a million literally a million customers that they can that they can target um but here's the thing at this like just going through the terms five million dollar value cap minimum of a hundred dollar investment 20 percent discount so literally i want to put this into context their goal is up to a million dollars from this crowd safe. I suspect that if they get this going, they're using this to get customers, and then after that, 
uh, they're off to the races. They're going to kind of lock down product one, and then after that, it's scaling, and they'll have to raise more money. But we mentioned Sprout Social, and he mentioned Hootsuite as well. Uh, Sprout just IPO'd about two weeks ago, and they raised uh, about a, well, $150, 100-something million. They're valued about $875 million. They've acquired, to date, six companies that I'm aware of. I think the number might actually be eight, but it's six that I'm aware of. And they are the perfect example as the the steward of the market to want to scoop up a Woofie. And so if you want to make a bet on Woofie, this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at why would Spotify or why would Sprout Social, I mean Spotify actually could too depending on the companies that have pro, programmatic advertising uh, systems. Why would a Sprout Social buy a Woofie? And the question is sort of twofold. Now there's a lot of things but we got a short show, so let's make it quick. The first thing is just flat out grab for customers. Does Woofie have an ability to more cheaply get smaller businesses that can't afford to pay $150 a month or whatever it is uh, to use Sprout Social, but they can't afford to pay $19.95 or $10 or whatever Woofie is charging per month per customer. If they can land 100000 or 200000 some sort of like meaningful number of customers, would Sprout Social decide, you know what, rather than pay the money and try to capture that audience. We're just going to buy the company, keep the platform running, and use that to plug those current customers of Woofie into ours. That's the first part. And the second part is to the point of of Arjun, where they offer sort of this, the Google-esque uh, autofill for social, which to be, just to give you an example, I was writing up my social post, which you can follow at Katoon on everything, on Sprout Social literally minutes before the show. And I have to write all of it out, and I have no idea if I'm funny or smart or just doing it direct and I don't care. Woofy would actually enable the auto-spell, auto-write for some of these posts based on what people are searching and based on what I've written in the past and what has you know, played well to you, the audience. It would auto-fill, saving me a ton of time and also being potentially uh, more uh, statistically you know, positive than my brain in a hurry as I quickly thumb through the post. And so... The question is, does Sprout Social or others want to invest the time and money, which I'm sure they are, but do they want to devote the time and dedication and hire the teams to try to continue to iterate on their platform and build this technology, or is it cheaper, more economical for them to just look at a Woofie and say, okay, we're going to acquire you for two reasons. One, you've got a piece of tech that we like, we've got a team who built it, and we like them. We're going to acquire you to roll you into our company, and you're our new tech development platform focused on this, and also because we've got... Um, you know, call it 200,000 new customers that can't afford our full suite of services, but they can afford yours, which we own. And we can gradually graduate each of these different business users into more premium customers, which is more bottom line that they are bringing in with less cost, presumably that they did not overpay for the acquisition. And I bring that up simply because at a $5 million value cap with a 20% discount to you, so you get to return your shares at 20% discount. If they get scooped up by Sprout Social at $5 million or anything you know under that, you're going to get a check. And if they take on financing to compete to get scooped up at $100, you are going to get your money then, even before they exit. And so this is one of the kind of companies that I actually look for. I'm not saying my endorsement on this company per se. I haven't done enough research, but I will say this is what I look for. I look for companies 
that I can see why other companies I'm familiar with would want to use them, buy them, or compete with them. If it's competing, it becomes an arm race, and they start raising a bunch of capital, and then it just depends on where I get my investment in. As it pertains to retail investing, doesn't matter. I'm in now, and anything at $5 million plus, I'm out. So I think it's worth looking at. The only other question I would have asked Arjun if we had more time was, what do they need to get it right? And I think... I, I don't I don't want to answer for him, so I'm going to say what I would respond to. If he thinks that he is an acquisition target, then he should be focusing on finding who the customer and the user experience that Sprout or others who are not getting, but clearly have demonstrated an interest in acquiring as far as like we want to be in this business, we're just not yet, and trying to get that customer base so that they're attractive for an acquisition. If they're not looking at it as an acquisition and the board and all the investors previous to this company have decided we want to ring the bell on a on a on a, sh- a shiny sunny day when they IPO and that this is the future of uh, of social management and social digital marketing, that is because they think that they can do it different, cheaper, and churn more money. Then they would be competing to to create the most unique experience possible in the space. And that's their number one focus, is to create the most unique, defendable offering and acquire the most customers possible. I didn't have the answer because we didn't have the time, but that would be the question that I would be asking and, and sort of chewing on, is depending on which way they went. Now, for you, it doesn't really matter because if they achieve either one of them, you're fine. If they don't, then you're, you're, you're out. But like a couple hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, what's the difference? So we're going to take one more quick commercial, and then I'm going to come back with our next pitch. And I'm doing this on purpose with a little extra time because I have, I've had a lot of companies on my show, the podcast, which if you're not listening to, download the Technori podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do your podcast, or just go to technori.com with tons of companies that are in this sort of booze on the go, uh, different solution for booze so you don't have to go to the store and buy all the stuff and make it yourself. Um, and I've had kind of mixed results, pun intended. So we're going to mix it up uh, after this commercial break. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. We are going to see who gets off this elevator. I I already prefaced it, so you already know, but here we go. Mm -hmm. Hello, folks. Who do we got? Hi, I'm Roxanne from The Wandering Barman. And I am Julian, uh, also from The Wandering Barman. Welcome to the Startup Showcase. What do we got for a pitch? All right. So The Wandering Barman, handcrafts and bottles, cocktails to the hospitality industry bars, restaurants, hotels, to be more efficient and more profitable. The cocktail industry is booming, yet creating and maintaining a legit craft cocktail program is practically impossible in most bar situations. This is why we launched a Wandering Barman in 2018 after successfully opening the world's first all-draft cocktail bar. We estimate the wholesale market value of handcrafted bottle cocktails to be at least $3 billion. In New York alone, we quadrupled our sales in our second year we're now launching in five new states in the first quarter of 2020 and are in ongoing negotiations with a major airline. We're, ind- we're industry veterans with over 25 years of combined experience. We aim to make quality cocktails more accessible, enhancing both the bartender and the customer's experience, legitimizing batch cocktails one at a time. We're currently crowdfunding on Republic to fund our expansion and build a new 5,000-square-foot facility with an on-site cocktail tasting room, your very first cocktail hub. Well said. Okay, I'm going to go about this a little different than normal um, because I think okay. it's pretty obvious for the person listening that what you do. Um, I think so. I've heard a bunch of different companies 
providing similar type things, but it's never for service industry. It's always direct to consumer. And I've found sort of mixed results. And I've never said this to them on the show. I don't really know why, because it's whatever. But um, I'm going (laughs) to say it to you guys, because I actually think that this is the, if I were to start a business like this, this is the right way to go, because you have the ability, if the product is fantastic, to brand it commercially and sell it in stores and things down the road. Whereas these right. other guys have one shot, like they sell and they don't sell. It could not, it may not be because the product sucks. It could be just, they just didn't get a good job in their campaign digitally. Like that's just it. And and then it's over right. and no restaurants yeah. or places are going to take it. You're a hundred percent right. Well, right. And also, uh, yeah. yeah. Go on, Joey. Um, that's, um, that's absolutely our strategy. And we, um, we realized as bartenders um, and bar owners that we were providing a solution for bars and, and restaurants and, and venues and that um, if we were to uh, essentially sell it through bars and restaurants first, we would have these bartenders and servers that would actually be our ambassadors and they would be uh, presenting the products to to all the consumers and then the consumers would then go and look for us in, in, in liquor stores. And that's exactly what happened in our test market Bushwick, which is where we originally launched. So I, I like it. I think, um, you know, obviously just as a, as a regular drinker, um, it's the only limitations I can see, which again, you're not, you're not targeting to be the, uh, you know, the, the special, you know, handcrafted, like special little Avery type businesses that have like, you know, the the bartender has a sweet mustache and they're like building something completely bespoke. Right. This is like we want to give you a handcrafted taste. It's a very like Tito'sy approach to things. Um, it's approachable. You could be in every Applebee's across the country. You could be in any place that people want to have like a quality drink. But they, you know, because I mean, I look, I'm just using Applebee's as an example. I haven't been there in a while, but when I was there you'd see these people like roll in out of bed and they're like trying to mix stuff as best they can, as quick as they can so that they can serve customers as they come in in a rush. And the quality is sort of not really there and the care is not really there. And that's a, as you guys know, in your industry experience, that's a really hard thing to train and change. But if you could just provide them with a quality product that they could just roll and go with it and the customer's happy and they're even happier because they don't have to do all the labor. This is a win for everyone. Absolutely. And Applebee's is a good example, but it's also, you know, a bit extreme. I mean, we see it just that in local bars that are more focused even on beer or, yeah, no, 100%. or you know, very yeah. 100%. food forward. Because, the, because now when you're a restaurant or bar, you essentially have to offer, offer cocktails because it's just how the industry is and you need to diversify your product offering. We're seeing that, you know, our best bars and our best volume are actually in local dive bars, believe it or not. Or That's music not a venues where, that, I think it's easier yeah, for you guys to scale when you get into like gardener owned companies like Red Lobster and things that like right. have have volume. But I but I think you can right. pick up everyone in between. The other thing Absolutely. that I think is unique about this and I want to get into the product itself next, but the the other thing I, I think is unique is it creates and I don't think people would think of this, it creates flexibility. So I'm going to use an example locally. We have a, a restaurant called Fire and Wine. I, I love the restaurant, um, and they have very custom, specialized drinks that they offer. Like, this is the drink of the week or the drink of the day or whatever. And they can do that and not use you. They can create something really unique on one thing. And then for every other main drink that goes on that people order typically, they could use you. And it would enable them exactly. to not have to do exactly. 15 of these things. That's the thing. That's the thing. It's not a, we're not, you know, we're not selling a black and white situation. Either you have us yeah. or you do make to order. The idea is 
Let your bartenders be creative and have their seasonal or special drinks and let us work on the other four. And so when a ticket comes up, your bartender can really focus on doing his drink well, and we got the other ones covered, for example. You know, so it's like let's open our you mind, our minds in this industry and try to change things that haven't been changed in, you know, de- decades. So it, it, it's really exactly how you're saying it. It's like let's how do we make the experience better for everyone and make sure the bartender also has time to talk to their patrons, make sure they like what they have and, and bring a real service, you know, instead of being focused on making 10 drinks and not have time to change at all. Yes. And then I want to add, uh, uh, go, go ahead, Julie. I was just saying, Sam's bringing up another point is that we, the speed that you can serve these drinks um, increases profitability of any bar, like a regular made to water cocktail would take, three minutes to make, but you can pour like five, even 10 of these in the same amount of time. So bars are, we're noticing that bars are just like burning through cocktails every night. It's, it's, well, it's so really quite fascinating. That's actually where I was, that's where I was going to go. Um, before we get to the product, the, the last thing I was going to say on it was um, by coming up with a product that is more easy to manage the volume of consumption and manage the amount of waste, more importantly, actually makes it easier for all of the the proprietary businesses that use you to say oh well we had you know i don't know we had 50 liters of this that we ordered for the for the day or the week or whatever you know whatever their volume and they would know the bottles are empty rather than when people are mixing their own drinks there's so much waste it's just insane absolutely and yours it's it's like you you close the lid it's done yeah yeah you're where you know you open the bottle you serve the drink uh there's no you know, you, no product waste. You can track your inventory. There's no, you know, even in terms of labor and all that aspect, we're not, you know, we're not even addressing that at this point. But it's like, yeah, the you, you, one bottle's gone, you know, one cocktail is gone, essentially. Totally get it. Okay, and so you can track, yeah. on the product itself, tell me how you mm-hmm. guys have come up with the flavors and the ways to make it because a lot of people like different types of flavors, more sweet, less sweet, and they're, they go right. to their local, you know, watering hole because, you know, Joe behind the bar knows how to make this one thing. How do you guys right. well, sort of systemize this? We first we of all a, we got uh, drunk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I should have worked for you guys <laughs> before uh, noon every day. Yeah, it's <laughs> actually hard to function. Um, so we we Sorry. started with a our all draft cocktail bar, um, which we created because it was taking us too long to make regular cocktails, made to order cocktails in our restaurant. Um, so we spent two years of R and D just like figuring out how you make batch cocktails as good as made to order. Um, and we used the staff that we were going to employ our new, in our new bar, as well as ourselves as, as test subjects. And we um, we really just tweaked uh, cocktails to, to to make sure that we have at least have one cocktail for each palate type. Um, we we kind of do twists on on classics um, because we thought people would recognize classics and go for those. So we would do a little twist like um, using dates in our old-fashioned to sweeten it instead of like you, you, uh, regular sugar. Yep. Um, but we found that the ones that we just created ourselves that w- weren't based on classics at all are actually the most popular ones. So um, people are very adventurous now, and, and consumers are really experience-driven. So if you put interesting ingredients on a bottle or in a bottle, people want to try new things. So um, that's where we're finding success. And then if they like it, they come back to it. Right, and we're seeing, obviously, in, in trends and in market research, you're seeing that people are really moving away from that over-sweet drink, right? Anything that exists at this point in the can or premix is most of it is just 
overpowering, very sweet, like that, the palate trends, and people don't want that. They want better tasting, like, you know, it it sounds weird, but almost healthier ways of of drinking. And, um, And, you know, the key thing for us is whatever we develop and whatever we set our night, we usually set our idea on one thing and then we work around that, is the balance in the drink. Our mark is if a drink is well-balanced, every ingredient is going to come about in that drinking experience and is going to do its job. So even if, let's say, you don't like turmeric and we put it with the pineapple and the chili pepper and the vodka, you can acknowledge that the drink is balanced, the turmeric is bringing that earthiness, the pineapple sweet, you know, and then the chili just kind of cutting through all of that. So the balance in the drink is the number one thing. And, and then, you know, even bar managers that are tasting and don't love all the ingredients can look at it and be like, all right, I acknowledge that my my patrons, my customers might love this, even though this is not my palate, you know. Now we have seven, so little by little, it's easier to, you know, please everyone. There's always a couple of favorites, for sure. Very cool. Where do people go to learn more about this, and, and what restaurants can they can they get it in? Um, so right now, we're mainly in New York. We are launching in Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maryland, D.C. area, and Georgia in the next couple of months. Uh, but you, uh, wonderingbarman.com is our website. We're crowdfunding on uh, Republic, so republic.co, um, uh, and then there you look for Wandering Bar. We are, we are exactly. hoping to come to uh, Illinois, Chicago um, later in, in ne- later this year, actually. So maybe like the third quarter. That's definitely one of our plans, Very FYI. Cool. Awesome. That's great uh, And all our locations on our website, so easy to look. And we're info at Wandering Barman. If you have any questions about the drinks or the crowdfunding, anything, we're, we're super we're super small but very responsive. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Good luck with uh, all of Thanks your for. business. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Take care, guys. Okay, so I've got a couple things um, that come to mind in this that I like. Uh, let's start with – it's not that I don't like. Let's start with the challenge. The challenge that I see is going to be distribution. They have to get into certain um, restaurants. Now, they can make friends and, and can get in with you know price sensitivity and things. But in the end, uh, when, once they find a certain economy of scale, uh, which their first problem is probably going to bring the price of production down so they can get their price to a competitive point, that's more about just getting users and revenue in the door and proving the case. And then they start raising some money. They flatten the price out a little bit. And then I think they have to raise money to actually kind of, quote-unquote, buy their way in. It's not a traditional marketing spend. Uh, if you talk to any of the companies that have been acquired and, and so forth or let go by Miller Coors, who is chasing after sort of the IPA beers to get to complement their, their their general domestic uh, sort of business, the challenge that they had was that those individual brands need to be part of a distribution package that gets put into all these companies so that when the trucks are on the drive, they're stocked to the top and they can jump and, and give their product to all these different bars and restaurants along the way, or along the, the route. It's very hard, like anything else, food or otherwise, to get on the on the shelf. So finding a way to put together distribution packages or partnerships with groups that can help them get in will be, I think, the key to success here because the branding is not B2C. What I think is great and very interesting potentially is, one, uh, a lot of people are getting into this low-sugar, gluten-free, having options, wanting drinks with options. They have the ability at scale to provide bottles that are normal sugar, gluten-free, You know, name your allergy, name your, your ingredient that is trending is not cool, that's going to kill you in a year, or that's going to make you healthier if you drink 20 of them. The more they get to that point, the more a bartender has the ability to differentiate itself by saying, would you like to have this rum and Coke sugar-free? Would you like to have this rum and Diet Coke or this this you know pina colada or whatever it is uh, without these set ingredients? And they can provide that. 
And then their analytics platform should be able to show those restaurants which ones are preferred, and then they can provide uh, you know, a more accurate um, distribution of product. So that part I absolutely love. The only thing that they're going to be going up against, which again does not even matter, is that we're having sort of a movement around this uh, booze-free being dry. It's kind of a trend with younger people particularly with the aforementioned cannabis craze. Um, but even that doesn't really matter because if they have distribution, they can provide the best non-alcoholic beverages on the planet, which when my wife was pregnant was a very big problem to find. No one knows how to make a good non-alcoholic beverage. So I think uh, this company has a lot of potential. Similar $5, or $5 million value cap, 20% discount invest for as little as 100 bucks. Um, I'm interested in it. I think they have a hard time getting up like anybody else, but it's super, uh, super powerful platform with a lot of potential. Similar to, as we're wrapping up the show here, similar to a podcast that I did with a group called Bartesian. Uh, it's in-house, kind of pre-made drinks. I like it. I think it's got a lot of potential. There's a huge market for people making their own drinks. So check out the Technoid podcast. Look up the Bartesian one in particular. Follow me at Katoon. Follow me and everyone on my little team uh, at Technoid. And that's a boom. That's a wrap for us.